Words on Whiskey is proudly brought to you by Irish Whiskey Magazine, the independent publication dedicated to sharing authentic insights into the exciting world that is Irish whiskey. Please support our podcast and magazine by visiting irishwhiskeymagazine.com. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Words on Whiskey and happy Irish Whiskey Day to one and all. Privileged to have Laura Hemi with us, head distiller at Rowan Co. Laura, good evening. Hi, how are you doing? I'm very well. Happy Irish Whiskey Day. Thank you. Happy Irish Whiskey Day to you too. Has it been a different day for you or is it much the same? Uh, no, sure. Look, we've been pretty busy and um, in production, so um, half on site, half on the on the laptop, which is fairly usual. Yes. How much can you do on the laptop? Um, a fair bit in terms of meetings. We're pretty set up remotely, so I, c- I can chat to everybody really that I, I need to talk to when we've got cameras where we need to. So that's great. But obviously, it's an operational role, so I'm on site as much as I can be. Yeah. Look, we've talked about having a conversation with you so many times before. And of course, the lockdown played a bit of a, a scupper on that. We really wanted to do a, a piece with you in the magazine. But this is the second best option. <laughs> or some might say the best. But So thank you very much for joining us here. I, oh, I know you're very busy. So oh, Thanks for having me. Obviously, you're at home at the moment. Tell me uh, how have you managed to cope during lockdown? Well, I've ended up with some really sort of boring hobbies that um, probably lots of people that have known me a long time wouldn't expect me to have. So I've started things like running, which feels a bit middle-aged. Um, I'm going to be 40 in a couple of months, so maybe that's kind of the, the right approach. But yeah, running, cycling, reading a bit and doing my garden. Um, okay. So yeah, all very sedate and at home. Yeah. How long are you over here now, Laura? You're three in the summer. Feels yesterday but also feels like uh, much longer than that as well um, yeah. and it was uh, the last year as well as um i don't know it, it's home yeah well that's good i know you've been welcomed and made feel at home where you are yeah look it's, it's hard not to be and i live literally around the corner from the distillery so i'm just off mead street um yeah. it's a pretty special area um i know all the neighbors and the people in the shops and it's yeah this this is a very welcoming area. It has its own special character. I love it, and I can't really picture myself living anywhere else in Dublin, to be honest. So I've, yeah. I've been here so long. I'm still in the same house I moved straight into. Um, yeah, it, it's it's very much. Uh, it's a very special part of the city. The Liberty is, of course, is really vibrant, and of course, with all the distilleries opening up and you creating employment and other companies creating employment for people, it, yeah, it's 100%. great. It's really important. I mean, you do give back a lot to the community as well, where you can, where you can take part in activities and you have, you know, stalls set up outside the distillery. Yeah, one of of the things we did over the last summer when we could run outdoor dining was open up the front space to local restaurants. So we're really lucky. And obviously we love Variety Jones and what they do. So we were able to open that up to them. And and Salty Boy and Alsabongi, again, incredible stuff but uh, we've been able to share that space which I think is great and businesses are always better when they can work together and absolutely and key founding point of that uh, it worked really well if, if you managed to get a ticket I mean I didn't even manage to get to the Variety Jones pop-up <laughs> it really? sold out in minutes it, it was brilliant really popular yeah it has a real vibe about it that uh, the whole area and of course the distillery itself it's an absolutely fantastic job of renovating that old power station 
into something rather special. Yeah. yeah, it is. It was a special building long before it became a distillery. I mean, I remember the first time I saw it when the hoarding was, before we even got to the point of striking ground in it, and I came to um, to interview for the role, and uh, it's it's gorgeous. It's a landmark. It's a, a very unique building. In, well, there it is there. I mean, it looks magnificent. One of our, one of our very few Art Deco buildings, well, no, clearly designed in the 30s, but built in the 40s, but one of very few like that in, in Dublin. Um, so we're very lucky. Look, it, it, it's a special building that, that deserves special treatment. I, I hope we're, we've we've treated it right. I think oh, I think we have. Uh, yeah, it's it's a labour of love, and I think everybody else involved in the projects from from the start has always been in love with it. So, and what's your feeling when you go in there and walk in there every morning? Not, not that you have a long walk. It's a really, really unfeasibly short commute. And it literally takes me five minutes from my front door to get to the distillery, which some people would say is slightly unhealthy and, and sort of bordering workaholic kind of stuff, actually. It's brilliant. I love it. Um, and walking past it, uh, I can always have a little check-in on, on the weekends and, and make sure everything's ticking over. But no, I mean, when I walk through the front door, I'm usually thinking, right, what are we doing today? Uh, who have I got to check in with? What's going on? What's coming yeah. in, in the rear yard? What are we making? Um, it, it it tends to be full on from start to finish because uh, it's a mainly, I say we're, we're partially man, uh, partially automated, but it's, it's manual on the top level. So there's a lot of running about for the whole team. Um, so it's a, a high energy plant, very deliberately. How many people are working there under normal circumstances? Obviously, things yeah, so have changed. I've, I've got a tiny wee team. Um, so I've got two brilliant distillers working with me. Fiona, who's been with us from really the start of commissioning. Um, okay. Isn't that superstar? Um, and Natasha, who came to us uh, last year with like, 10 years of brewing experience, so bringing a, a whole different dimension to the layers of experience in the teams. Um, fantastic. Um, we it, Lots of people don't believe that the three of us can run a distillery, but I can absolutely assure you that we can. Um, mm. It's very involved, sometimes including me, but um, no, hopefully not, because when I tend to get involved in the control room, I upset the balance. And, and Fiona and Natasha know what they're doing. And when I when I turn up, I just I, I, I tend to either mess things up or not do things as efficiently. So, I uh, yeah, look, I'm, I'm so lucky to have them. Um, yeah. They my total hero, um, but it is very involved. We 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 work hard. Yeah, and here's a very historic part of the the city, of course, the St Patrick's Tower right beside you. Uh, no longer there with the windmills, but part of the grain store and the famous pear tree beside it. That's yeah. several hundred years old. And what I love is, is there's a grunginess and an industrialness that's been maintained in the distillery. I mean, this is still maintained. This is part of the back part of the distillery, which which I love. 100%. It's like, a, I always describe it as a sort of cathedral of industry because that's what it looks like. I mean, you can sit in the bar with a drink in hand, obviously, you know, yeah. in, in days when we can be open and, and look all the way up through the glass roof lights. And there's a whole, like, yeah, there's another 100 meters really above you. It's spectacular. Um, yeah. And it really is, it's a proper slice of the area in that you can stand you know, in the front of the bar and watch through the windows, see all the way through the still house, through to Thomas Street, and then all the way back through to really the, the guts of the brewery. Yeah. So it's this sort of brilliant slice of the brewing and distilling history on uh, on Thomas Street, James Street, which you know, we, we all know about, um, yeah. but a bit of past, present and future. So yeah, it's it's stunning. It's, it's totally unique and um, 
yeah, I, I, look, if, if, if it was up to me, I'd build a little flat for myself out the back. Oh, yeah. It would be, it, that would, I would just say that would make a lovely loft apartment to it be. It would yeah. make a lovely distiller's apartment. Yeah. Yeah. From, yeah, sure, CapEx is lifting. I would love to. <laughs> yeah, but there's all the room at the back, which means you have room for expansion, of course, when you do get there. So there's yeah. a distillery room. Uh, the fermenters and the washbacks there and the still house, yeah? Yeah, so again, you can sort of see see the guts of the operation, really. And we, we wanted to keep everything in the one room deliberately so that visitors would have a full visual of everything going on from the bridge. And the bridge is pretty cool. I mean, being able to stand on top of a production floor in a distillery is, is always brilliant, especially when you can see the whole lot. But yeah, look, it's it's again, it's a manual plant. So we, we did that deliberately that we could showcase all these operations as traditionally and as honestly as we could yeah. um, but we've automated a lot underneath so I'm, I'm not running up and down the stairs to, to charge yeah. stills and, and and whatnot but no the flavor impactful processes are all are all manual yeah I, I love walking over that bridge up at the top there and just looking down it's it's amazing to see and you know, you look Everybody out the always dodges the, the sort of the, 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 the glass piece in the middle. It's, it's amazing. People sort of walk around it and, and totally avoid it. Yeah. I think, I think it's only me that goes and sort of jumps on top of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit about these stills, uh, Laura, because, of course, it's triple distillation here. And did you ever experience triple distillation before? Is this your first introduction only, to it? Yeah, only via the use of an extra spirit receiver. So I've, I've had experience of running two stills extra receiver and you can effectively run a triple distillation, but not in a, a three still array like this. Yeah. Um, but of course, what's interesting about this is that we can run it as double two and it runs as a pretty unique um, unbalanced double distillation system with the wash still as your first stage and the intermediate and spirit stills running as a sort of tandem spirit still. So we yeah. can actually do a lot with this. We can play a lot of tunes spirit character wise which is super super cool but in terms of triple distillation actually running with three stills is um yeah with with three smaller stills like this is is uh, it's very challenging you have a very slender spirit cut and especially when you're working with your nose and with instruments no it's you have to you blink and you miss it so it takes a lot of management to not destroy all of the flavor that you've created in in the brew, brew house elements yeah. of the process how long did it take to to bed down the systems and start producing the high quality that you'd, you'd be expecting immediate so, or did it take a while to run the systems in and tweak it? I think with any commissioning projects and I've, I've, I joined the industry, I guess, at a pretty um, unusual, unique time in that every project I've worked on has involved a commissioning stage. So I've, I've worked with tons of startups, new distilleries. I'm kind of lucky in that respect because I've had a lot of experience getting things going and every single project has different challenges and different quirks and and i think this one's been really interesting because we've worked retrofitting a distillery into an older building and of course yeah. the building actually dictates a lot of what you can do with the plant and a lot of the placement of instruments and valves and runoffs and and the technical side so i guess yeah. you sort of and I, I refer to this analogy a lot with distillation in that we're you know, learning to play a musical instrument. And that's exactly what commissioning is. So, yeah. you know, you, you can get it working quite quickly, but actually refining process, refining spirit character, that all takes time. And actually working with wooden washbacks, again, they take time to commission in. You, you've, got to, you've got to build your, uh, your, your washbacks character. And, and that, yeah. you can only do that by using them. So uh, it's, a, it's a long process to get 
exactly what you want, but we've been able to deliver that relatively quickly. I mean, is it the case that every still has its own characteristic, even even if it's very similarly shaped? Does is there a lot of variance then between the different stills? Well, still, we we know from experience that of course still shape does have an impact on on character, and we we've got some unusual stills here, especially our intermediate still in the middle there with it. I'm noticing the bulbous nature of the neck. Yeah, yeah. It, it's gorgeous, and and if anyone's ever been to the Tanqueray Gin Distillery, you'll sort of recognise the shape of it. And we had the Tanqueray manager in like a couple of years back, and she was quite keen to to find out where we'd got the top of our still. And of course, it is a an, an 1860s piece of copper that's that's had a fair bit of history in itself in that it, it was part of uh, the original Tanqueray distillery in, in southwest London. Oh, um, okay. And did a bit of a skirt around some, some gin distilleries in, in London before making its way up to Lanes in Essex and then ending up in uh, our coppersmith's yard in Alloa. Yeah. Um, and it was used as a plant pot, actually, unbelievably. I sort of tell this story and people get really um, shocked. Uh, <laughs> why yeah. was the gorgeous bit of copper holding bulbs? Um, but we had it restored um, and we had it grafted onto a contemporary still body. So we have this kind of unusual hybrid. Um, it looks more like a, a, a gin still. And certainly if you've worked with um, sort of schnapps, gin stills, that's that's more what they look like. So we get this double reflux bulb, which is super, super cool. Yeah, it's very unusual to see a double bulb there. Yeah, yeah. No, it's lovely. It's my favourite still. It, it, it behaves itself nicely yeah. most of the time. And the line arms are actually pretty horizontal as far as I can see and quite wide. What characteristics does that give to the spirit? So we're running to shell and sheep condensers, but we're running quite um, quite warm there. And we're, I guess we're looking for a, a, a characteristically um, fruity from the sort of fermentations we're running. We're, we're, we're looking for that kind of character. But we're actually doing something quite unusual in this plant in that we're deliberately chasing two independent spirit characters that form part of our main character, which is a, a genius brief, which I love, that came from our blender, Caroline Martin. Yeah. And um, it means that like, we're, we're deliberately seeking two very different fermentation profiles, which we're distilling independently and then blending up in our spirit receiver to a particular ratio. So I, I always describe that as blending starting at the distillery um, yeah. rather than you know, at the finishing end of the process, which is what we're doing. So the, the line arms give us a, a little bit of flex in terms of, of what we can deliver. Um, and then we have a lot of temperature control because we run with a cooling loop, which means right. we don't use up the water and, and we can have a lot of control over the final temperature. And that allows us to, again, play a lot of tunes in distillation. So a lot of uh, possibilities, a lot of permutations. Tell, tell us yeah. about the fermentation process there. Are they wooden washbacks? They are. And I think the first time I saw these, I kind of, my heart sunk a little bit because I, I really wanted some lovely stainless washbacks with cooling jackets and every tweakable parameter. And I saw these and kind of thought, oh, um, what can we do with these? Actually, the really interesting thing, and I've, I've completely changed my mind. I've totally come to come to love these as we've commissioned them in. Is that you know, again with our sustainable cooling system, we can actually control a lot of the temperature and a, a, a lot of the, the ways that the fermentation behaves before it even hits the wash bag. So, uh, and we can do that with quite a, a degree of precision. So, actually, we're, we're operating very traditional vessels in, in quite a contemporary manner um, and actually that again gives us a lot of flex in terms of what we can do with them. Can you get a kind of double fermentation? Is, that, is there a, the possibility of doing that with the temperature control? Or 
Well, what we're really looking to do is is set these up so that you know, we deliver our fermentation that's going to give us ethanol that's going to you know, give us the, the the bulk of our of our spirit. But yeah. we also want to set up the the precursors that are going to help us deliver a lot of the flavour that we're then going to capture in distillation. And a lot of that flavour is generated in the secondary fermentation um, yeah. period. So, you know, that's bacterial colonies, actually, essentially. We're, we're growing these, like I, I call them living Petri dishes, which is what they are. And you sort of notice that difference in longer fermentations when you're deliberately trying to chase some of these characters that then go on to form your fruity notes in, in, in the final spirit. Uh, and we're quite precious about those. In fact, we've done a bit of swabbing work on these, and it's quite interesting. We, we've got two competing colonies that, that haven't outcompeted each other that, that are growing in the washbacks themselves, which is super interesting and, and, and not totally unusual. It's not unheard of, but it's um, it, it's certainly you know, the distillery donating its own character. And that's yeah. the important thing about all of this is that you know, these will have their own character no, no matter what you do with them. And yeah. you have to learn how to manage that too. And that's that's part of the role and part of what we do in the distillery. Yeah, so it, it's possibly picking up some of the fermentation and bacteria from the surroundings as well? Well, it's it's, it's lactobacillus and, and acetobacter really. And, and those go on to, to form lots of uh, precursors that, that go on to create the fruity esters that um, we're looking to capture in, in distillation. I know people will be wondering like, what what capacity are these uh, stills here. So our wash still is the uh, full working capacity of, of one of uh, washbacks, which is fourteen thousand liters, and uh, it's a no, we're, we're sending everything through the one stream. So our intermediate still six thousand six hundred, and, and our spirit still uh, it's around about three and a half thousand at, at net capacity. So that's fill capacity. So we're working by slender batch sizes. Yeah. And can you give us an indication of what percentages are coming off at each still alcohol? Yeah, sure. So um, strength off the uh, off the wash still itself is, is around about 21% off the still. And then you know, we, we lose a bit once we send everything back to the receivers. Yeah. Um, the intermediate, it, it can be sort of between 60 and 65 ordinarily. And then the spirit is much higher. So triple distillation, again, you're, you're refining it more. So we're looking at about 80%, 81% usually. Yeah. What would you say to those people that say that, you know, triple distillation probably strips too much flavor as opposed to double distillation? Is that a myth? Um, absolutely. Look, it, it depends how you run it. I think triple distillation is extremely challenging to uh, to work with in that, again, it is a destructive process. Distillation is destructive. And, and when you're going to the lengths that we're going to in fermentation to be able to build all the flavor and character into the spirit, um, into the into the wash at pre-distillation stage, you've got to be very sensitive to that when you're running your stills. And getting those sweet spots definitely takes time. And you can overcook it or you can undercook it. Uh, and it's a bit... The skill of the distiller to, to be able to find the uh, that sweet spot. Yeah, what are the what are the variables for for distilling that are not part of the equipment? I mean, how big a factor is temperature? How big a factor is climate? And, and you know the general conditions. That's a really interesting question, and of course, like you know, we can talk about that seasonally as a as an example in the distillery itself. I mean, what happens in, during the winter month is very different to the summer months. In fact, in the summer months, it's it's much more challenging to create certain spirit characters. So we just have to manage our process differently. And we're really lucky because we have so much control over cooling. 
um, which allows us to do that. But um, you know, if, if we didn't have that, if we weren't in the middle of a, a city where we, we had access to those kind of facilities or if we were working off a natural water supply, we'd be very dependent on that. So, of course, all these elements can have an impact and they can have an impact on the way you manage your fermentations, but the speed of your distillations. I even I had a conversation quite recently about how uh, sea level uh, versus like altitude and, and the impact on distillation. Yeah. And of course, that has a, a massive impact. It changes your boiling point. So without sort of getting too nerdy, like everything that happens around you can impact your process. Uh, and again, that's part of the, the skill of the distiller is to be able to manage all of those elements. I was, where was I reading something recently about a, a distillery opening up in the foothills of the Himalayas? The highest distillery in the world, and I, I can't imagine the challenge. I'd love to visit. Yeah, love yeah. to visit. I've done a bit of travel around there and sort of visited distilleries in Pakistan and, and sort of northwest India. Um, so that, that sounds very, very cool, and I'm sure that would have an impact. Yeah, that's one thing I wanted to touch on. You, you, you've visited an awful lot of distilleries from around the place. I've noticed. You know, you've travelled extensively. What are the ones that really struck you on your, on your tours? Well, first of all, I'm a total whiskey nerd, so that's um, not. It's not that sad for me to spend a lot of time visiting distilleries. But if you end up on holiday with me, it's a completely different story. So I tend to have to sort of plan in little adventures for myself, where I'm not going to offend too many people by sort of dragging them around places they don't want to see. Yeah. But um, standout distillery, I don't know. I, I was really lucky, sort of, before I ended up moving into a, a sort of career change phase of life and, and going back to school to study distillation. I went on a very long trip. I, I bought myself a, a one-way ticket to New Zealand and came back via distilleries in Australia and East Asia and all through the sort of, I guess, Silk Road is, is how you describe it. Yeah. Um, so distilleries that stood out, well, that's definitely say the, the Murray Brewery in Pakistan is, is fascinating. Um, right. Took a bit of it took a bit of uh, uh, yeah a lot of investigations to be able to get in there, but when I did, it's it's an incredible place. It's a, a distillery with a history going back to the eighteen um, twenties. Since right. moved to an, an army base, and lots of people don't believe that uh, like any alcohol is, is made in Pakistan, but it is. It's, it's run by a, a Parsi family that have, have owned it for a few decades now, um, and they make an incredible beer and some whiskey. Um, bizarrely, um, yeah. that was. Very interesting, fascinating. Yeah, it's such a universal language, whiskey. It's great to be able to go and visit other countries and. Ah, hundred percent. That's it. it. It is a universal language, and it, it's it's global. It, it's a total, totally global category. Yeah. I think if you ended up in 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 any country in the world, you'd probably find a, a distiller or, or somebody that was into whiskey, and then that's brilliant. Had they heard of Irish whiskey when you were there, just as a matter of interest? 100%. Yes, they had. Yeah. Irish and Scotch and were very keen to, to find out more about it. And actually had had visits from um, a couple of people, not too many, but they did mention a few journalists that had made the trip out there. Oh, um, okay. Excellent. It's a, a very interesting trip. If you can ever sort of uh, find a reason to go, then it's... How long were you away for, Laura? Um, all in all, it's about... Nine months, I think. Oh, it was nice. just a big distillery trip, which, yeah, it, it was brilliant. And then some other stuff. It was, it was super cool. Yeah. Listen, to t- take us back then to, to the beginning, if you like. You grew up in Scotland. Where, whereabouts were you born? Where did you grow up? And how did so that actually, influence? I actually grew up just outside London. Um, my family well, right. is Scottish, but I actually went to school and grew up um, in Bedfordshire, which is just north of, of London. Um okay. 
my mum's from the east coast of, of Scotland and they live up there. So we actually ended up moving up there a wee bit later. Um, so the Black Isle is is home for me when I'm I'm back over the water, which is not, clearly not very often at the moment. Yes. Um, you know, Scotland by distilleries, uh, carry on driving north past Dalwhinnie, take it right at Glenord, carry on going uh, on the coast road, uh, you'll get to a wee place called Jemimaville and that's home. Um, it overlooks a couple of distilleries, uh, Dalmore, Invergordon, and you know, I think if you can squint, you could probably see Bell Blair as well. Um, so it's a, a lot of whiskey history and obviously like Dalmo was my first job in, in the industry so uh, I'm noticing a common trait here where you always seem to work close to home <laughs> <laughs> you don't like a long commute <laughs> well yeah not not always I, I had a pretty long commute in my last job so I was very very keen to not have a plane involved in, in the commute for this one well look you didn't start off, obviously, with the intention of entering uh, the whiskey industry. You were pursuing a career or studies in fine art, and you were doing DJing, and you did sound engineer. How did you get interested in whiskey, and how did you begin on the journey? It always sounds like a bit of a mad story, but there is a sort of common thread through all of it, I guess. Um, I actually left school when I was 16, which lots of people think is like not a typical route for a distiller. I got a job in a supermarket and um, I had a very clear idea that I wanted to go to art school. Um, and I found secondary school quite frustrating. I hated science. Um, <laughs> it was my least favourite subject, any of it. I blagged my way into art school on the strength of a portfolio that I put together after work in, in the evenings. And that's kind of what got me to a, a great, very conceptually led painting department. Um, and of course I got there and got very bored of brushes quite quickly and started messing around with other things and uh, I guess that's where the interest in this kind of stuff started because um, I was very interested in the senses and I guess taking things that could be physically tangible and using them as sculptural material so I was very interested in sound still am obviously um, I spent my 20s as a sound engineer and ended up studying it uh, and I was also very interested in perfume so again, all of these very sensory elements that you can't touch, but you can you can feel. Yeah. Um, and it, as it turns out, whiskey has very similar uh, chemistry to perfumery. In fact, um, we look at aroma and aroma interactions, and uh, especially in whiskey blending, and a, and a lot of it's very very similar. You're talking exactly the same language. So that kind of felt captivating because whiskey has all of these abject sides to it, which are which is much cooler. I mean, at the time, and it's not the same now because perfumery is, is very different now, I think. But um, at, at the time I was getting into this, you, you couldn't really make perfume out of struck matches and burning wellies and all yeah. of these individually very abject elements, but put them together in, in a really beautiful way to make something delicious. And I think that's what I found fascinating about it and sort of put it to bed as I was working in music studios and doing a lot of DJing, but always had an idea that that might be what I wanted to do. And, and I did finally... I was finally able to make it happen Went and did a lot of traveling, like I said, yeah. and um, then went, went to Harriet Watt to study as an ad, a sort of grown adult at 30. Yeah. How was that? How, how was the Harriet Watt experience for you? It was brilliant, but it was heavy going because I hadn't studied science since I was at secondary school. So I literally had to start from scratch before I went with um, secondary school science books and, and just teach myself again. Yeah. Um, and actually, I enjoyed that a lot more than I thought I would. And 
essentially the research side of this is still what I'm very into. Yeah. I mean, how, how relevant is the theory to the everyday practice? I think it helps you to identify or problem solve quickly. So yeah. I think the theory is kind of essential if you're going to be running a plant because your key job as a distiller is to be able to solve problems on the fly. And that's, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what we do. And they're always gloriously exciting, very challenging and usually incredibly unique uh, problems to solve. Um, but the theory helps you to do that. And I think the educational piece is really, really important, actually. What was it about whiskey? Were you were you a whiskey drinker or was you just fascinated with the process or the history or, or which element of it attracted you the most when you initially kicked off? I think the uh, the process I found really fascinating and that, you know, again, you take very, very simple ingredients and they have such a sort of a connection to place and people and individually. Yeah innocuous it's so simple really and it's it's historic I mean, the history of brewing goes back thousands and thousands of years and and it was still the same process that's that's yeah. what's it hasn't fundamentally changed in all of that time fermentation is the same process yeah. um, but yeah, yeah the sensory side is is really what drew me to it and i think i love that uh, about whiskey in particular is that it has such a connection to people in place and it's a, a, about memory for me and about how you encode those and and how your your brain remembers something that's delicious, which is you know, exactly how I'd remember a work of art or you know, something at a time I've been really happy. It, it's got all these really positive connotations that I think I, I remember great places I've been to. You know, I associate them with with the whiskies I've, I've tried on my travels. That's I think what I love about it. It's a visual diary of everywhere I've been. Yeah. Well, I mean, it does, it does attract all the senses, I think. You know, we were talking about this earlier and I was trying to, to figure out how, how you actually visualize or think of flavor in your own mind. It would be very visual for me. And I, I talk a lot about us creating blocks of flavor in the distillery. So I, I guess I've got, a, I think about it very sculpturally because I think yeah. that's what chemistry is. It's a very formal sculptural language. That's that's all it is. I, like I, I make so many connections between my art school education and how I think about chemistry that, that that's just how I understand it. Um, and that's what we do ultimately. So uh, when I, whenever I think about building flavors, I, I think about them like that. It's a bit like building a cathedral. You, you start with the blocks and then you finesse them and, and, and create the detail. In terms of what you're doing then, head distiller, kind of people might be thinking that the main role or the, or the only role you do is, is around distillation. But obviously the, your role takes on far more hats than, than just distilling. So you're kind of operational manager in, in a sense of the distillery. You deal a lot with the PR and the public. Yeah, and look, at that. there's very, very few occasions now where I'm, I'm pulling valves in the distillery, sadly, as much as I'd love to be. I mean, sometimes I do go and sort of troll the production floor and annoy everybody by getting involved and, and, and pulling valves. But um, I, I would love to be climbing around there the whole day, to be honest. I, I love production. But um, the reality is that's not my job. My job is to empower my team to be uh, great at their jobs, to help them on the way to to also being brilliant distillers, which is what I want them to be. And uh, that's one side. There's the people side. There's obviously the PR side. There's the innovation side, which takes up a lot of time and, and you know, forging our path for the future and production planning. 
And then a lot of a lot of the stuff that we talk about, because ultimately we're a very small team at Rowan Co. And a lot of the strategic stuff we bat around between each other because we're all whiskey lovers at heart. Um, and it's it's very much it's a startup. I know we're we're part of a, a big business and we have the backup of, of of big business, but really amongst our team, it's very much a startup mentality. People may think automatically that being backed by Diageo, the distillery is a big high production distillery it's far from that really it does have that very industrial kind of i won't say makeshift but it, it, it's not as uh and maybe it's deliberate as well it's not as super polished and super automated uh, as maybe you're absolutely you know, right and it, and it was intentional yeah yeah 100 percent. i mean we are in terms of the agio scale we are the smallest diageo operational distillery i mean like that's that's a fact. And the pilot plant is smaller than us, but now in terms of operational distilleries, we are the smallest. Uh, we deliberately designed our plant to be, I'm going to say, partially automated again because there's some operations in, in the basement that we just can't be running up and down the stairs to uh, to be running manually. But no, the, the still has floor again. All the flavour impactful processes are all manual. And yeah, that's uh, that's because we wanted to be as open as we could about how we make things. So we are using dip rods. We are we're not using flow meters. We're using instruments in a safe. We're using our noses. Um, we're using all the things that probably you might not uh, associate with big business. And again, uh, that's Diageo wanted to do that. We wanted to do that. Yeah. How much how much creative freedom do you have in in developing profiles or or are you given a, a, a brief that you that you follow, or do you have in mind what you're aiming for yourself? So obviously, like our, the, the key um, like production plan we have is for the spirit for the blend in the future, and we did have a brief for that. Obviously, with any brief, like starting in a new distillery, it's always going to involve creativity. I think you know, sometimes we talk about the distillery end of, of whiskey as as being less creative and I, I fundamentally think that's not true um <laughs> you have to be creative yeah, in a still yeah. health environment and actually this is uh, it, it's been an absolute joy to be honest to to be part of commissioning that spirit character it's presented all sorts of challenges a lot of these things we we don't have experience of running um, organizationally before that's not what Diageo distilleries uh, have done previously so a lot of it's new to the business as well believe it or not I and mean, we've got tons of experience that's helped us guide guide us through but now, generally, we've been forging a lot of new ground, which is super exciting. And then yeah. in terms of like innovation, we always designed the plant to be able to do different things. Yeah. And actually, we do have a lot of creative freedom over that. So primarily uh, single malt, but I mean, the end product will probably be blends, will it? Or Our mainline blend is, is uh, that's, that's our focus and delivering the, the, the malt whiskey component for that is, is the focus. But absolutely, we can produce single malt. We're laying lots of, of, of malted, uh, malted barley spirit down. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, we could be releasing single malt. We could do a lot of things. We, we have the functionality to make pot still, for example. So, I mean, yeah. we you could in, do double distilled pot still even in there as well, couldn't you? We could, and actually we've laid down some double spirit already. So that, oh. that's already happened with a completely different spirit character. In fact, I'm just checking up on, on that one at the moment, and it's it's super exciting. That's been in cask a year now. So, how, how far ahead are you planning? 
Laura plans are sort of running a century ahead and hoping that I've got about five lives. But uh, the, the reality is, no, I mean, in whiskey, you always have to be thinking you know, 15, 20, 25 years ahead. Um, really? Yeah. You know, we're focusing on the, the next five years in terms of lots of our innovation projects at the moment and getting those into um, getting those lined up to deliver objectives that I'm, you know, I, I may not even see myself. I mean, you're always thinking about the future. And I, I always talk about this as a bit of time travel as a distiller, but lots of these projects are, you know, they're things that are going to be gifts maybe for someone else who knows what they might become, but it's laying down these blocks of flavor that's the important part. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's part of the beauty of the whole thing is that you're, you're creating for somebody else. You know, you're yeah, not necessarily like, creating for yourself. You're creating. For... I would don't get me wrong. I would love to see some of these oh. come to fruition. But the reality is, some of them are going to take 15, 20 years, perhaps. Who knows? Yeah, I mean the whis- the whiskies you have released. Obviously, they're they're sourced whiskies at the moment, and I think you've released three: the twenty nineteen cast strength, twenty twenty cast strength, and then your 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 standard. And actually, we were talking earlier, and I was saying I couldn't find my my Rowan Co. and I, I did actually manage to find it and I am going to partake in a, a wee dram being the day it is. So this is a 2019 cast strength blend. So I had a, a little nibble of it earlier and I, it must be two or three months since I actually had a, a drop out of it because probably because I couldn't find it in here. But it, <laughs> it, 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 I, I don't let this image here... Uh, Make you think that the the rest of the office is like this. All right, I've got all of my washing just literally out out of pot, so I'm I'm the same. Yeah, it's amazing what you can do with a bit of camera work. But but look, uh, Solange, anyway, I wanted to wish you a happy Irish Whiskey Day and continued success. And uh, I don't know if you're having a dram yourself or are you taking it easy? Oh, I, I will be later. Absolutely. Will be later. I, I've yeah. got a current cost strength, which um, I'm enjoying at the minute. So I will be, I'll be pouring myself a wee dram soon. Yeah. And one thing I do notice about all, the, all, all three I've tried so far, they are very fruity. Yeah. Uh, and this one actually, this is a kind of a bubbly gummy note to it as well, which is a, maybe that's just me picking it up. That's a 2019 cast strength. No, I think that's a really key characteristic of, and it's one of the things we talk about on the distillery tour, actually. It's got this real kind of sweetie note to it, which is lovely. Um, I I find I always find that at the back of my palate, and it's um, it's one of the the, layer, the four layers of flavour that we talk about um, on the tour, uh, and something that um, obviously is a, is a key profile in, in the blend. Yeah, I mean, I'm drinking this. It certainly doesn't drink like it's 59 percent or somewhere out of roughly around yeah. there. But yeah, yeah, but it, it doesn't. I mean, it, you, you don't you don't pick up that at all on on the 2019. I think it's what was really nice about that one for us is to just really show off. You know, that's and Co in its purest, rawest form. That's yeah. you know, it, it's it's not reduced. That's the blending bat. That's essentially you know, everything straight out of cask. Um, I mean, the the branding across everything. From the industrial design of the distillery and the layout, right through to the the bottle itself, which is very different to you know what we would have seen before. It's all very cohesive and all very, I'd say, industrial is probably the the right term, but done in a modern way. It's all good branding. Yeah, look, I mean, we designed um, everything. I say we like that's 
clearly lots of work from our brilliant um, global marketing manager, Hayley, um, who should be taking all the credit there. And um, we've worked with some brilliant designers and the inspiration for that comes from Dublin 8. I mean, that's that's the colour. That's that's the rooftops that you see. That's uh, It's that oxidised copper, which is, is beautiful. So it's supposed to be very reflective of this part of Dublin. And I, I think it, it, it does the job. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember visiting the distillery once and coming from Guinness building across the road, underground, and entering the distillery that way. The steam tunnels, certainly... yeah. yeah. They're just brilliant. Um, we yeah. were Actually, the end of that tunnel now opens just before the basement door into our sort of lower still house, and I kind of perpetually worry that something's going to just run out of this corridor in, in yeah. the middle of the, the evening shift or, or whatever. Um, yeah. It's a hidden door to another another world, but, yeah, that, I mean, it's... St. James's Gate is just a, a crazy site. There's this yeah. vast network of underground walkways and adventures to have. And how much how much tourism do you get as an offshoot of uh, people visiting the little-known brewery of Guinness? <laughs> well, if you look at our capacity and then look at uh, look at the storehouse, I mean, there's a there's a bit of a mismatch. Yes. If, if everybody from the storehouse turned up at the distillery, we would. Um, not be able to to serve everybody as as as, as we would like. Um, yeah. We we just can't take that uh, that capacity, the, the, those number of guests. But yeah, of course. I mean, it's it's great to see people that are in the Guinness suddenly get an interest in, in whiskey. So that I think is is always fab. Yeah, we yeah. always have a close relationship. I just want to show a few more photos here because, like I say, I really do like this building as a. As a visitor, and even to go and sit in the lobby and, and, and just have a cup of coffee there. But there you see that uh, famous stairwell that leads to uh, room 106. Is that room 106 at the end? Yeah, that's it. So yeah. that's, that's our sort of um, some monument to Caroline's brain and, and all the work that she put into, uh, into the blend. My goodness, uh, an old picture of me. That's well, I think it. that was on the opening day. <laughs> I said, yeah, have an age today. <laughs> and and there's the stairwell. Uh, I mean, it's, it's you know you, what you should do is uh, do one of those screens where the the grass appears to crack underneath. You know, <laughs> when people are going across. So this is this is room one hundred six, or is this no? Yeah, no, that's oh, this that, is room one hundred six. Room one hundred six, and that's Alan. That is the legendary Alan Mulverhill. If he's listening, hello, Alan. And a fabulous room, a really fabulous room where you can showcase uh, the spirit that you're yeah. producing. No, it's, it's a gorgeous room and, and we're lucky to uh, to have the space to be able to do that. Yeah, w- would I be right in saying that the first release was very much aimed at the new person to whiskey or the cocktail, the cocktail uh, crowd? I think it was... Uh, the, the whiskey itself is designed just to be flexible, um, to be versatile. So we wanted yeah. it to be delicious um, straight up, so as a sipping whiskey. But obviously, the versatility in in a mixed drink was really important because we worked with bartenders to make sure that we were delivering exactly what they wanted from uh, from a blended whiskey. And obviously, the bartenders um, were all industry legends here in Dublin that worked very closely with Caroline um, in the blend formulation. Yeah. And yeah, I think. 
I think that is really unique about the, about the blend itself. I mean, we went for that higher ABV so that the, the, the whiskey did retain its character in a mixed drink, which I think is really important. No, I do get talk. a really, off the blend of the standard release, I mean, I get a really ripe pear note off it as well. And I think that's just... Yeah, I think the orchard fruit, again, that's a, it's a key part of, a part of the profile. Um, yeah. And it makes it very approachable. And yes, I mean, it's approachable to a, a very wide range of, of whiskey drinkers. And, uh, and if that's new drinkers or people that already love whiskey, you know, it's, we don't sort of have a... I don't think anybody that makes whiskey has a, a particular drinker in mind. They want their whiskies to be enjoyed as many and, and whoever people. Yeah. Uh, this is the flavors workshop. So I mean, you've done an awful lot of work with bartenders. Sorry, there, there's the room 106 again. And uh, it's a fantastic layout. And, and does everybody that go on the tour get to go in there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we we take, um, it, I mean, our tours are... Uh, pretty small um so you know that that would be the whole group that you can see um the seats for around around the table so those boxes that you see there open up and, and we have some sensory pods and um some i guess some um some triggers we've got some sweets some some other little sensory triggers that you can uh, compare with the whiskey and helps people to understand just the multiple layers of, of flavor and aroma in in their glass um yeah. I have a mini version of that box actually here that I very good. Oh, you've got one. The little one, yeah, yeah, they were cool. They had a the aniseed and the star anise and yeah, yeah, that's like it. That. I'm yeah. really jealous. I don't actually have one of them. So oh well, I, I might part with it if you're. Uh, but look, I mean, again, here you got the industrial look as well over the top. You can see the exposed. Uh, I, I just love the vibe on it there. I think it's. Uh, let me see if we can go the right direction. So this is the cocktail uh, tasting experience room. So y you have a lot of bartenders or you did have a lot of bartenders coming in out and getting training and experiencing the various elements of it there. Yeah, um, look, that's a lovely room. It allows us to do um, all sorts of things, but like as, as an introduction for people learning how to mix a drink that they're going to like, it's yeah. brilliant. That's the whole purpose of the experience. Um, you know, we, we got loads of feedback from people that were, you know, they might have been put off by whiskey because they were going into a bar and, and not being able to order a drink that they knew they'd like. And that's the whole point of this is to teach people how to make and ask for a drink that they're going to like every time. Yeah. No, it's great. I visited that room and it's so well laid out. And really, I think the sensory experience of the whole thing is, is, is amazing. But then on the ground floor, I think this is on the ground floor as you come in at the back. These are yep. the the cast strength whiskies that you can actually buy directly in the distillery. So obviously they change every so often. Uh, yeah. Again, yeah. that is they are on hold, I guess, as well, obviously at the moment. They are, but obviously when we open back up at some point, they'll, they'll be available. And the grain is delicious. It's absolutely one of my most favourite. I, I do. I really do enjoy uh, grain whiskey. I think, you know, there's maybe a, I won't say a snobbery element on it, but uh, the flavour that can come out of some of those grains is amazing. A hundred percent. I'm a massive, yeah. massive fan of grain whiskey myself. Especially at that high ABV, 59.2 there. Okay, so this is what we were talking about, you know, having events in, in the in the premises. And this was one of the, you know, oysters and shellfish here with the Sally Boy. That was one of the events. 
And this yeah, is here well, on the bar. Brilliant. And that's the bar, yes. And that's Cast Strength 2020. So that's yeah. our most recent release, uh, which is a cracker if you manage to get a bottle. It's yeah, I, I was actually looking at it and I, I was looking to, to I, I think I have one here, but if not, I've seen that it's sold out on your website. But I, I think Celtic had a, a couple of bottles uh, available. So that's 74, 74 euro. 75 euro. Yeah, 75 euro it. for a 13-year-old. Again, obviously, it's a sourced whiskey, but it's sourced from a what we believe to be a very reputable company. I can possibly comment on, on that. No. But, um, yeah, I can say that this is... Um, yeah, well, look, I, I would very happily part with um, part with my cash, as I already have done for a couple of bottles of this. Yeah. It's delicious. Um, it's a, a, a cost-driven... Um, very much about the port, but it hasn't lost its identity as as you know, as Irish whiskey. There's a, there's yeah. a lovely we've talked about this before in tastings, but there's a lovely ginger note to it. It's definitely got the Irish whiskey ID, um, but also you know really showing off um, the difference. I think between um, this is European oak and uh, it's a different flavour in in the uh, in the palate. So. Yeah. yeah, I definitely see port finish making a, a big comeback. You know, in terms of yeah, it's, it's one of my one of my most favourite profiles, and all that damp oakiness you get you get at the back. It's just it conjures up so many different images, but it's just delicious. This is uh, the event as I mentioned before, where you had uh, hospitality in in the courtyard. Uh, yeah, and this is a collaboration you did with Cask and Keg last yeah, year. Yeah, indeed. So th- this was really cool, actually. Um, I, I really loved these whiskies. Um, we worked on this with the Open Gate Brewery, and um, they they made some beers for us, which they then put in some of our old whiskey casks, um, or our used whiskey casks, yeah. and um, we then went on to uh, yeah put some of our whiskey back in the cask. Obviously, when when the beer had been disgorged, and actually what we found, especially on on the citra, which was a a really gorgeous IPA, is that a bit of Britannomyces had got into the cask itself, and then done some really interesting stuff and it, it's just yeah it, it's super cool so it's yeah. a it's a citra ipa cask finish whiskey the they're no side. longer available are they they were um, well i think they are i'd have to double check that one I, I think they are available um i'm I'm not entirely sure where so that's one i'd have to i'd have to come back yeah. to you on um it's definitely worth seeking those out if you can so that's your which is that the 2019 one i think yeah, the like one I'm drinking now. You're 2020, so this is a 13 year old from somewhere north of Dublin, possibly. And <laughs> uh, this is your your mainstay seller here. They're very well priced, I think. I mean, I mean, this one in particular, 75 euro for for that is it's great value. Yeah, look, it's, it's something we were really keen to um, uh, to keep consistent. Is like good whiskey at a good price and i think we've been able to achieve that on, on all of these and that's the point point. Um, one of the great things i suppose with being part of a, a huge uh, organization is that sourcing casks you, you're going to get the very best quality casks well i think yeah, we are lucky to be able to have a, a global network to like, refer to to get amazing casks we've got loads of contacts in Ireland that can do that and, and obviously internationally. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, quality is everything. 
Just going back to the tasting room there, a few more shots of it there. Uh, how many can it take, actually? Is it 12 or 13 so, or something? So our, our original tool size was 16, obviously, you know, when we were, that was back in, in the, the full times uh, when we were able to open as we originally intended. But yeah, it was, it was 16 in a group, so. Yeah, it's great that they kept the old electric uh, I dials and these. power things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely love them. I would have them in my own house if I could find any more <laughs> out the back. But literally, every single one of them has been repurposed. Yeah, they're yeah. just gorgeous. I think the detail, and um, we've got a, a table made of an old sort of pump in in the bar as well. Things like that are just, yeah. They're, well, they're, this is the bar. There you go. I, yeah, it is beautiful. I, I, I know when. A, when I design my loft apartment, I'll come and speak to your designers because they're doing a great job there. It's, it's you know, it's such a shame that they're empty and they're not enjoyed at the moment. But look, let's hope that the day is back soon and we can uh, yeah, go and 100%. enjoy some time there. Yeah, I think last time I was there, there was a a DJ party on. Yeah, yeah, it's great. We've got the space to do that. And um, were you DJing at it actually? Did you I, know, I, I haven't DJed in here yet. I would love to at some point. But, um, yeah. The distillery sort of ends up kind of taking my time. If, I, if I'm on site, I haven't found a way to wheedle my, my decks and my record collection in yet. Not That's yet. Um, a work in progress. Well, look, it's a magnificent, it's a magnificent distillery. And the, the one thing I love is that you go in there and you're always available to have a chat, which is, which is great. Or there's always somebody there. And, you know, yeah. even if you're yeah, not doing the, the tour... People will talk yeah. to you. Which yeah, is, and that's absolutely the point. That, no, we're, we want to offer a, a welcome. This is uh, uh, when we're not uh, we're, we're there to to welcome you into our home and, and to show you what we do. So um, there is always somebody available to chat, and we love talking about whiskey. Um, all of us, um, our, all of our extended team, and in, in the uh, in the experience too, all are completely passionate about about Irish whiskey. Um, so if you get any of, of them to chat to, you'll be very, very, very lucky. They, yeah. The tour is brilliant. If you've never been, you absolutely should when we when we open back up, hopefully. Have you been given any insight into when that's going to happen? Or No, I, 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 I couldn't say, and I don't think anybody could um, yeah. at the moment. I think we, we do what, what we need to do to, uh, to get everything um, in a good place first. So no sign of that yet. Yeah, I suppose we have to talk about um, Diageo's involvement in Ireland, and obviously they were the the forebears of of, um, of Bushmills for a while, and uh, they they left that after a while. What was their decision to come back into into Ireland and uh, take on Irish whiskey and and be part of its feature set? So I think the decision to uh, sell Bushmills was strategic at the time and that sort of predates my involvement with the organisation. So I, I won't talk too much about it because I'm not furnished with all the facts, but that was a, a decision to uh, yeah. go into Tequila. I think the, the Rowan Co project certainly was was never planned as a as a replacement, but um, it, we had an amazing building and, and an idea for a brand and Irish whiskey is... It's an exciting category. It's a dynamic category. Um, yeah. I, that, that, that's that's the that's the reasoning. Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, I mean, it, it's it's a great welcome back, and it's done so much. Uh, you know, along with with the other distilleries in the Liberties area, it's great to see the whole area really benefit from it. Just tell me, in terms of uh, your previous roles, what what were they, and and how 
How did you actually get to get this role in, in Dublin? When I, I, I talked about it a wee bit earlier, but when I graduated from Harriet Watt, the industry was in quite a unique place in terms of spirits. I mean, there was only a handful of us at the time that weren't brewers on that course. Um, so it was probably pretty unusual to be thinking seriously about a, a career as a distiller or in, certainly in whiskey. But there was this gin boom that was starting. So sort of by proxy, I ended up working on um, on a lot of gin projects as, as a first off, and they were all startup distilleries. And I guess I got a lot of hands-on experience like that. Um, very soon, uh, quite early, working with some like, some interesting projects, some projects that like, some of them have only just really come properly online. Out of the blue, I, I got a, an opportunity to go down and work for a company in Merseyside um, on some startup distillery projects. So yeah. that, uh, that's right, the Liverpool Vodka was it? Was one of them? So it's a company called Halewood, and they were um, yeah. sort of selling spirits, but not distilling any of their own. And, and those were my my first projects with them. So I was working with gin in, in uh, Merseyside and then a, a whiskey project in Wales which is just about to release its its first whiskey I think coming up a, a bit later on this year which is super exciting well yeah I've had a, a lot of um I guess I've been really lucky in that I've had a, a lot of experience with distillery startups yeah it's I amazing went, I mean I'm sure that you know being and I think in the same in lots of uh, different sectors being there at the very beginning at the coalface when things are starting off you're really in at the deep end and starting to discover. I think, I think it's an absolutely brilliant experience. I think I always tell people if you get the chance to work on a commissioning project, you'll get 10 years experience in a couple of months. Yeah. Um, you'll see every everything that can go wrong, everything that can go right and, and be solving all the things that you never expected to happen because that's just what commissioning projects are. Um, and they're brilliant. So I've, I've been very, very lucky in that just about every project I've been involved with is involved bringing these stills in, which I've got colleagues that have seen that once in their career, for example. Yeah. But um, I'm, I'm lucky to have moved around spirit categories too, I think, working across. Absolutely. That's a huge spirit. advantage, isn't it, with flavour? It is. And I think um, gin in particular is, uh, I always say this, but it's a, a great place to learn technical distillation. Um, there's nowhere to hide. And if you muck it up, you <laughs> you can't do much about it um yeah. so it's, it's great learning um I, I guess the the operational mechanics of distillation in that way yeah. and I, I did a bit of work with them um, uh, with liquid development in that role and then went on to, to atom brands where um, i was head of distillation working with vacuums again so it's an, another different style of distillation and, and working with mpd across boutique gin and rtds and you name it i mean the, that was yeah. just a like fun that's a, a, a sort of crazy uh, brilliantly creative environment very very fast paced i mean we could get a take a, a product idea from concept to a, a sales channel within a matter of weeks it, it was really? that quick and yeah. um, so learning to work quickly learning to work um to um like some some brilliant briefs i got to work with an amazing bunch of people yeah. Um, and I, I got a call out of the blue about uh, about Rowanco, which I didn't know much about, and I took the call really out of yeah. curiosity. Um, and then uh, you walk through the gates here, and, and it's it's very difficult to turn down something at St James's Gate. I think you can feel all this palpable history around you in this part of Dublin. Yeah. And living in an amazing city is it must be a dream job in a way. You know, I mean, obviously you put in the graft, and you you. You have so much experience in, in a relatively short period of time. You're not talking 20 years, you're talking 10 years yeah. of a lot of 
a lot of different distillers, uh, a lot of different spirits. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that must really stand to you having seen all that variety. I think it definitely helps. And I think it, like as, as a confidence builder in terms of your own experience, um, I, I, I feel good walking into places knowing that I can solve a lot of problems, having seen all sorts of things and different challenges and, and sort of seen different sides of the industry too, from liquid development to strategic planning and you know, everything that goes into a startup mentality. So um, that's I've, I've just been lucky. I think part of that is being in the right place at the right time in, in the industry as it was starting to, to grow. But um, having a background as well in the sort of the very practical physics also really, really helps. And actually, fun, funnily enough, my sound engineering has, has been the thing that's actually been the most beneficial in terms of really hard distillery operations. Yeah. In what way is that, is that useful? Because if you're working practically with physics and systems i think if you work it's like you, you probably know yourself but working with audio networks and, and systems of audio equipment actually when you're talking about things like impedance they're, they're actually very um, very they're really applicable when you start thinking about flow rates when you start thinking about how yeah. to move around the plant how, so when you start to be able to move between systems in your head um, mm. If you can apply those laws of physics between them, um, it, it's actually, it's it's very relatable. Yeah, well, I mean, electricity can be thought of very much as a, and sound waves, I suppose, can be thought of flu, as fluids as well, I suppose. So there is definitely yeah, a correlation there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A- if someone who wanted to pursue a career like yours, Laura, now, what, what would be your advice? Um, I would say, well, definitely do it but you need to be very persistent and i'd say resilient i hate encouraging people to be resilient because it sort of implies something that you kind of have to be tough to do stuff and i think that's wrong too i think we, we should be setting up environments for people to work where they don't have to feel like they need to be really res- resilient but ultimately you do this is it's a very competitive field um it can be difficult to get your foot in the door i get probably i'd say about between you know, 30 and 40 messages a month from people that are looking for advice on how to um, get into like this side of the business. And I can't even re- respond to all of them, to be honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry about that. I'll stop doing that. I'll, I'll <laughs> stop harassing you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, look, it's, it, I think that the important thing to realise is that there is no traditional route into this stuff. And I, I should be a, a prime example of that. Um, I think if you can bring... Um, if you can bring a skill set that is diverse but relatable, then you know you don't need to think of it as as there being one way in. But I think um, qualifications definitely help, and I think um, we we have access to a lot of that. And in Ireland here, especially, we've got some um, some incredible uh, institutions that are doing brilliant things um, and and offering a lot of uh, a lot of foundation routes to get you properly set up. What what is it you like most about your job? Uh, what what makes you most what gives you the most satisfaction? I think seeing people enjoy what we make. It's it's always about people first. I mean, there's tons of things that I like and enjoy and find really fascinating uh, on the distillery floor and sensory. All of these bits are great, but ultimately, what we do is is about people, and yeah. it's about the people that I work with that you know, it's it's their reflection and everything that we make it's, it's it's never about one person it's always about a team and it's about the people that we invite in and and introduce to our whiskey they might already know the whiskey but that is the greatest reward and I think getting to sit and talk to people about what 
they find in it, talking to them about the flavours that they pick out, what they like most about it. Even if they don't like it, ultimately, all of this stuff is, is totally subjective. But I find that really inspiring. Yeah. And are there many misconceptions about the role? You know, do people have a, a picture of what your role is? It's definitely not standing around swirling a glass in my hand all the time. That, that I can say that that's definitely, definitely Are you not. sure? <laughs> yeah. There goes my romantic notion of a distiller out the window. I kind of wish it, it, it was, but no, it's, it's a lot of running around. It's, it's high energy. It's a lot of meetings and a lot on the laptop, actually, and a lot of it is, is very unglamorous. I spend you know, as much sorting out issues with the building and, and cleaning and actually 90% of what we do in, in the distillery is managing different levels of, of plant cleaning so that it, it doesn't impact on character. All of these things are the, the bits that you don't really hear about, but actually yeah. there is something fascinating and brilliant about all of them. So I would say that none of it is dull. All of it is is uh, all of it has the ability to be as as challenging and exciting as you want it to be and um there is there's never a moment of bored and that's why i love this job um every day is slightly different yeah. um i think if you spoke to anyone running a distillery they'd, they'd say the same thing well especially in your case i suppose where you're part of a smaller team as well you, you really what you do really has an impact and that must be really satisfying from from your point of view Oh, 100%. Yeah, that's what we all love about it. And and actually, a lot of what I do is hands-on training with our team too. And and I I love that too. I actually love people management and inspiring other people is what I want to do more of. I'd I'd love to have a a few more uh, people to work with to do that, to be honest. And and if we can grow the team and as it grows, that's something that I love um, yeah. and teaching and, and and that side of it too so you have to kind of be into that a bit and be really passionate about um, communicating that and sharing knowledge that's that's key yeah I mean you so successfully kind of married the the creative side you know with your your music your art your sound background with the technology I think that that's you know they go so well hand in hand and I don't think you can have one without the other when it comes that's to creating great whiskey hundred percent yeah absolutely and um yeah the 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 tech is is inherently creative i I always uh, try and communicate that to people and if you if you take a creative view to it you can you can fix anything and i think that's um i love so much about this stuff you can you can have an idea and it can be a really big idea and you can be me and be five foot two and have a big idea and, and make something that's sort of much bigger than than you or or your own capabilities just through working with teams with people and with tech that's yeah. fabulous well when do we expect to see the the first inaugural release from your own stills i, I can't imagine you're going to release anything far too young we well uh, clearly we're going to have mitchell spirit next year but look there's there's no time limit on when that's going to be released and i don't think we've even thought about that it's going to be when it's ready to be honest yeah. Um, look, I'm, I'm keeping a close eye on, on everything in the background because like, it's it's super exciting. And um, I think uh, sort of aware of the, a really a really nice spot and uh, a, a couple of things that I think might be super special for that in our inventory. So, look, <laughs> fingers crossed. Wait and see no is what you're telling us. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll be around to be enjoying the first one. But look, I mean, these blends and the single malts that you've released, I think they're fantastic. 
And uh, what I would like to, you know, they're they're up, all really approachable and they have character and they're sensibly priced, which I think is a credit, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you've enjoyed them. And, and that was certainly the, the intention. And like I said, um, great whiskey at, at good prices. That's that's what we're hopefully all about. Yeah. Tell me, what do you make, what do you make of the, the huge resurgence in Irish whiskey and, you know, what's happening and how it's perceived? Do you, do you get a chance to relay that to your, your peers in other distilleries in Scotland and say, well, I mean, uh, Irish whiskey, and it's hugely successful. Well, I, I think you, you don't even need to tell people that. I mean, it's, it's very obvious that Irish whiskey is hugely successful and has been for much longer than, than my involvement. Um, the, the history of whiskey here obviously goes back centuries. Um, yeah. it, it already had a, a fabulous reputation. I got into whiskey partially because I, I love Bushmills. I mean, yeah. I have to, this stuff always been incredible so i don't really need to talk to my peers or uh, bragging rights aside i mean again the, the world of distillers is is very global so um we also absolutely know what each other are up to and and um, and exchange um yeah like messages back. so i was actually just talking to a friend of mine working in a distillery in copenhagen like a couple of days ago um look at that's the nicest thing about this industry like the, the global network that it opens you up to is is great i think if you parachuted me into any airport anywhere in the country i'd know a distiller within sort of a 50 50 mile radius um so we we also keep up with what everyone's doing and um yeah. Well, what I what I love is that you know the distillers. Not only will they talk to other whiskey distilleries from anywhere in the world, but they'll talk to gin producers, spirit producers, oh, absolutely, you know, absolutely. wine producers, beer producers. And the, there is, like you said, that common a common bond through everyone, which, which is great. There well, really is, and that's how you learn, and that's how you get inspired. I mean, that's that's why I love going to distilleries and. Like, the end of the earth to do it to be honest yeah what emerging trend have you seen in irish whiskey that really has uh, grabbed your attention i think what's really nice is that consumers are, are, are becoming like so they they expect um a level of diversity I, I, they expect innovation they're they're expecting um flavor profiles in a way that's kind of unique to to ireland really there is the expectation that you will uh, deliver uh, a whole range of flavors as, as part of your uh, part of your offering a, a whole range of, of different experiences which is actually fab i mean it, it just means yeah. that the, the the quality benchmark gets higher and higher and it always already was high let's face it i mean we, we've been making amazing whiskey on this island for hundreds of years um yeah. but to, to see consumers get so involved in it it's brilliant so uh, people yeah yeah I, I always think the the notion of comparing irish whiskey with other world whiskies scotch included of course uh, is kind of a doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense other than you know when you come to talk to about just quality i suppose but um irish it's whiskey just, stands on its own i think without having to be compared Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like we are a, we're a global player in, in uh, the global category of, of whiskey production, but we are a, a, a very key, very, um, very integral player. Yeah, in and that. we're still, we're still a relatively small player in the world market, but obviously we are growing rapidly. 
What, what do you see as um, the challenges going forward? Are there, is there anything that we should be wary of in your eyes or are there opportunities that we shouldn't overlook? I think that as long as we keep quality and the consumer at the forefront of what we do, then yeah. we're in good bed. And that's that's the key. It's always got to be, uh, it's, it's picturing um, everything that we do is distillers and blenders and, and makers uh, is about people. It's about drinkers. It's about people who buy our, our products. And, and as long as that's absolutely a core focus of what we do, I think that's, uh, we'll be fine. Yeah. Going back to your own whiskey, then, just in terms of uh, pairing it with anything else in terms of food and as a cocktail, what are your your choices for the standard uh, for the standard release? Any recommendations for us? <laughs> in terms of the cocktails, well, look, and um, you need to talk to our, our bar team about that because they've got an incredible list and they they know what they're talking about. I'm a very amateur bartender, so I'm I'm not even going to pretend, but I will give you a couple of recommendations that they've given me. Um, mm-hmm. They've taught me to make amazing sours, um, so that would be my my sort of go to cocktail um with you know, our, our blend 106 actually what i love and it's it, it's a pretty um <laughs> it's a pretty high-end boulevardia but i have used our cost strength 13 in, in the boulevardia and mm. i love the gronies um so boulevardia is for me like it that's a very easy win and oh my goodness that is one of one of the greatest boulevardias i have ever tried really no hands down, but like clearly it's it's a pretty um it, it, it's a it's a bit of a nice one. Yeah. Well when the when you open up again I'll I'll go in and have a try. I'm a big fan of Negroni actually myself. I lived in Milan for a while and of course that's oh, wow. a yeah, very a very my staple. My favourite cocktail really outside of outside of whiskey based and Negroni's are my total go to. But yeah. um the Lavardias are, are well up there. So that would be my recommendation. In terms of uh, whiskey events, obviously everything's kind of locked down now. There's not much opportunity to to take part in, in things and, and going to, to shows. Maybe Whiskey Live hopefully will go ahead this year. Any any likelihood that you'll be partaking in some of the virtual events like at Belfast Whiskey Week? And I'm sure there are others that are going to come up as well. So I'm, I'm sure we will be taking part in some online stuff. I mean, I'm not sure exactly what yet. I'm, I know that there's plans to do a lot of things, but I'm, I'm very sure that we'll be part of some of them. Um, and online has been such a, um, a great tool for, for all of us over over the last year, for sure. And uh, Oh, it's been a lifesaver in the one sense. Yeah. And, and look, it's been, it's, it's been brilliant in the sense that how it gives me the opportunity to be able to talk to people that I would, not ordinarily be able to just pop over to LA on a, on a Friday night and just have a chat really and that's it's great it has opened up networks as, as, as much as anything else but yeah I can't wait to have a, a dram in person uh, yeah. that it, it's never going to replace actually meeting people and, and no. no no I mean getting to people meet people face to face is is very very different tell me what are you what are your uh, ambitions then for the future what are your plans uh, what are you looking forward to? What am I looking forward to? Well, obviously, clearly looking forward to um, releasing and making more whiskey. And we've actually got some pretty cool things coming up this year that we've been working on. Okay. Um, so Any hints? So a couple of, well, a, a pretty unique collaboration and um, some very interesting wood projects that we've got going on. Um, I've got some very cool yeast projects 
Okay, All right, okay, that. yeah. And without giving, up, giving too much away. Um, but really, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting the distillery back open to the public again, more than anything, I think. Uh, yeah. it, 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 it's very lonely in there without people, and we built it to, to welcome you all in. So that is what I'm looking forward to the most. Yeah, uh, yeah, I can imagine being in a building of that size and that nature would be difficult to, to go into. They're like empty. a haunted house at night. I've actually I've been sort of camping out a couple of times in the bar, oh, yeah. my my office, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely meant for, for people. So look, when we get open up opened up again, it will be a, a, a happy day. Well, listen, thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, I'm sure you've had a long day and uh, taking the time and speaking with us is kind of. Like I said, we wanted to talk to you for so long and uh, and always enjoy having a chat with you and, and nerding out and not nerding out. And But, you know, I'm looking forward to actually going into the distillery, sitting in the front lounge. And, and actually, the coffee there is excellent as well. But, oh, the coffee you know. is so good. I actually must remind the team because they've, they've promised that um, I, I can uh, learn how to use that coffee machine at some point. So I'm going to take them up on that. It's really good. You'll probably end up re-engineering it or something, uh, Laura, knowing you as well. But yeah, don't don't upset it too much. Don't upset it too much. Look, uh, thank you very much for taking the time. I wish you the best of luck going forward. I'm looking forward to meeting in person. And I'm sure there's, we're going to see some exciting things coming out of Rowan Co. In, in the future. So best of luck with it. And I hope you have a, a long and successful career there. And, and you do get to try some of the ones you're laying down now. <laughs> thank you no I'm, I'm i'm certainly looking forward to it and um yeah really appreciate it it's been great chatting to you thanks very much again stay Take safe care. bye-bye bye-bye Hi. thanks very much to, to laura for taking the time and joining us this evening uh, i hope you enjoyed that chat she's such a, a modest and talented distiller and so generous with her knowledge so i hope you you picked up something there and like everybody, we're all looking forward to the distilleries opening up. Look, just want to wish you a happy Irish whiskey day again. Look after yourselves. 